Hello and welcome to another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dominic Booth and I'm delighted to be joined by my Friday crew, Tyro Marshall and Samuel Luckhurst. Uh, hello to both of you, looking well? Hello, Hello, thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Dom. That's very nice of you to say, Samuel, even though a weird bit of lockdown facial hair is happening. But we will quickly move on to Manchester United's 4-0 victory over Real Sociedad on Thursday night. And what a win it was uh, for United in Turin because of the COVID-19 restrictions, of course. Goals for Bruno Fernandes, uh, Marcus Rashford and Daniel James. Really, Samuel, it couldn't have gone much better than that for United. They made five changes going into the game. There may have been some concerns that the changes might have disrupted their, their fluency, fluency that they haven't actually had in recent league games. But that was um, back to their best, really, wasn't it? It, it was not imperfect. I think normally away from home in, in a European tie, 2-0 is, is a great result. You, you've got two away goals. It's not just that, that narrow lead, but... For it to be 4-0 was, was tremendous. The ties pretty much boxed off. I think there'll be more than five changes next week. It's safe to say for, for the second leg, they can afford to do that, which is a is an enviable position to excuse me to be in, given that they're at Chelsea on the Sunday. They they need to rest players up, players like Juan Bissaka, whose playing time is going to have to be managed very, very carefully, given that there's a reluctance to bring in another right back uh, to replace him, whether it's an FA Cup game or a new or Europa League game. I suppose the only blemishes were that was the first half finishing, but that was rectified in the second half by by Rashford. There, there are times where you wonder where United would be without Bruno Fernandes. It, it was pretty inevitable that they were going to score last night, and and it was inevitable who the identity of the the goal scorer was going to be as well. So with with Ahmad getting on for his debut at the end, it was a pity that Shola Short didn't come on as well. But overall, it was as I said, it was. It was Pretty much a perfect night for United. Yeah, I might be getting on and, and showing brief glimpses of his uh, talent. Obviously, Daniel James getting a, a confidence-boosting goal. Tyrone, what was the sort of main take-home from this for you? What were United, obviously, other than the what seems like uh, almost certain progression now into the, the last 16 of the Europa League, what will United take from this victory, do you think? Uh, I think they'll take that they wish they could play a team that plays a high line like this every week. I, I felt, when I heard um, Solskjaer's pre-match comments on MUTV, I actually thought this this could be a good night for United because it feels like these are perfect opponents for them. And I think the selection of, of James, well, options were limited anyway with, with Cavani being injured and, and Mata probably not match fit at the moment. It did feel a little bit like his selection against Leeds as well, where it was kind of horses for courses. And he's ideal in that scenario when you've got pace in behind and pace running at a defence. It leads play a high line, but it's also easy to get people running at that Leeds defence, which James did brilliantly. This was another game against a team that plays an incredibly high line and can be vulnerable to balls in behind. And I think it, it suits United perfectly. And when Solskjaer spoke to MUTV beforehand, he kind of spelt that out and said the plan was to, to go forward quickly, get the ball forward quickly and, and to use that pace. And it feels like that is United's strength at the moment. And it, it kind of... From the way he said it, you almost felt that he'd spotted something in the Sociedad team that would make this a good night for United. And it was clear it was. I mean, it was a, a tactical triumph, really, considering how many of the goals came from the exact scenario Solskjaer outlined in, in how he wanted his team to play. And But for Rashford's finishing, it, it could have been more goals that came exactly through that, that method. So, I mean, it was a, a hugely encouraging night. It, it was a team... Like I say, a Sociedad team that sets up perfectly to for United. You know, they play into United's strengths, really. But I think there, there was confidence boosters for players, like you say, Daniel James, who I think has now got more goals this season than he did last season. And while he's, you know, while he, while he doesn't feature that much, he does feel, it does feel like his, his role in the team is almost 
when when they come up against teams with with incredible high lines and, and can exploit that space in behind. And Rashford as well, he did miss some. I mean, he missed two absolute sitters in the first half, and really he's got to be scoring them. But we know his finishing can be wayward. That he can put away brilliant goals, but he can also miss sitters. But feels like he offers so much to this team from that left-hand side role that he needs to be playing there regularly. Forget about him on the right. Forget about him through the middle. He needs to be playing on the left every week where he looks confident, can run at people, can get in behind. His, his involvement in Fernandez's first two goals, I think, was underplayed. The pass for the first was superb. The ball into Fernandez and James for the second was excellent. So I thought he had a good night as well for his missed chances. But, but overall, it was a hugely confidence-boosting result for United, even if it was a team that, that played perfectly to their strengths. Absolutely. And Ty and Sam, you both mentioning the finishing there. It did get better as the, as the game went on. It almost felt like United needed that uh, chance to fall to Fernandez and a little helping hand from the Sociedad defence as well in the first half to, to get them off and running. And then it was it was pretty uh, easy going after that. Uh, I guess, Samuel, at the back as well, uh, Eric Bailly and Dean Henderson both came into the side. Alex Tellez as well. I think all three of those played pretty well. Bay had the, the odd hairy moment, as probably we've come to expect. It's why my girlfriend always laughs at pretty much everything Eric Bay does on a football pitch. But they both, uh, both those two Antellas did shine, didn't they? And United, they need to make a decision with their defence and their goalkeeper at the moment. Well, it was interesting what Gary Neville said in the week about the favour triangle just not being up to it. And it was, it was a very good analysis, but it was analysis that could have been made at the start of the season, maybe at the start of last season. Uh, Lindelof to Harry Maguire is, is never going to win you a title. This this season, maybe it's one of those that up until the point, you could have looked at it and thought maybe United can override their squad deficiencies and somehow challenge for the league. But that's that's not the case anymore it seems with City 10 points clear of them now and it does seem a bit it, it would be very hackneyed of Solskjaer to recall De Gea and Lindelof against Newcastle on Sunday I suspect that at least one of them will be back in if not both because that's just the way Solskjaer operates but it is it is becoming quite nonsensical I mean the only people on the planet who seem to think that um, Bay and Maguire is not United's best uh, defensive partnership of people who are in San, uh, Scandinavia. That's not all Scandinavians, but it does seem to be just people who um, who live or hail from that region. And from United is that the manager hails from that <laughs> region, and he's he's got a blind spot with Lindelof and with De Gea. He's Solskjaer's not managed that well. Uh, the goalkeeping situation. Henderson should have had a run in the league by now. We, we've spoken about it ad nauseum, but Haya just has not improved or impressed enough this season to merit 22 Premier League starts. Given that the title is all but over now, I don't really see the harm in bringing Bay in and bringing Henderson in to see how that triangle of Henderson by Maguire gets on between now and the, the end of the season. I don't think Bay is is the long term partner for Maguire. He's too injury prone for that to happen. Fred played his hundredth game for United at the weekend against West Brom. Bay still on ninety seven appearances, and Bay joined the club two years before Fred. That in itself is a big problem, and there's just a as compelling an argument to say that United should actually sell Bay in the summer, that they should actually give him a new contract. That's that's the dilemma they've got with him at the moment now that he's into the last 18 months of his deal. But he is a player worth keeping around. I don't think he will be sold in the summer. I, I expect that he will get a new contract in the end. And when he breaks down after signing uh, that new contract, that's going to reflect badly on United. But that's just the, the vicious circle they're in with by at the moment. Uh, but sticking with the present, I, I just don't see why 
it shouldn't be him and, and Maguire with, with Henderson behind them for the rest of the season because that that does in some way or form represent the future, even though they are going to need a new centre-back in the summer and that centre-back will be coming in to, to supplement Maguire. United aren't going to discard their £80 million captain. I mean, and I'm sure there are some fans out there who'd like that to be the case, but I think as we saw again in Turin, Maguire is a much better defender with by next to him. I think one of the reasons why Maguire gets drawn so deep uh, or has been drawn so deep so, so much recently in certain games is because he's conscious that Lindelof hasn't got the pace to cover for him. Yeah, neither of those two blessed with pace. It does seem to me, Ty, like the sort of buying Henderson selections, they are the they're the sort of sexy selections, aren't they? And they're the risk the risky ones, maybe. We haven't seen a huge amount of Henderson in goal, especially in the Premier League for United. We've seen Bay, we've seen that he can be, you know, capable of the sublime or the ridiculous. But is it time that Solskjaer just takes these gambles now? Like Samuel said, the title race is is probably over. Um United should have four, at least a top four finish wrapped up and, and then they, they go for the cup competitions. There isn't much to lose, is there, between now and the end of the season? Uh, there's not, no. I mean, I I would be surprised if Henderson got in the Premier League team between now and the end of the season, to be honest. The way, the way I, if he's not got in now, then unless De Gea completely falls apart and starts chucking one in his own net every week, I can't really see how Henderson is going to get in. I thought he was assured again last night without needing to do anything spectacular. And there was one moment in the second half, early in the second half, where the ball kind of looped up in the area and straight away you heard Henderson call for it and he came out and, and didn't try anything fancy and just punched it clear. And it felt kind of like the thing, like, something De Gea should have done for that West Brom goal at, at the weekend, really. But it just seems that, for some reason, Solskjaer doesn't want to give him his, his chance in the league. I think the issue is, I mean, we we do seem to touch on this an awful lot. And it is, you know, I described it on Monday as like United's culture war at the moment over their, their goalkeepers. And when you push the case of Henderson, you, you do get accused of having an agenda. But I don't feel like United are learning anything about him at the moment. We saw last year of two years with Sheffield United last year in the Premier League that he's a good a very good goalkeeper we've seen in cup competitions this year he's a very good goalkeeper but unless they play him in the Premier League they're not going to find out if he can be their number one and I don't think he's going to hang around to be number two for you might get one more season as a number two from him but that is the absolute maximum he's made no secret of his ambitions to be United and England's number one and he's not going to be England's number one if he's United's number two so I don't see him hanging around with the status quo as it is and I don't feel like United are learning anything about him at the moment so he should be getting a run of games in the Premier League but I'm not sure it's going to happen as for Bailly now I think what we see with Bailly is the template of the type of defender United need next to Maguire whether it's Bailly or not you know it's probably not going to be long term but they need someone with that pace I think when you've got that pace, it allows Maguire to kind of go into to one-on-one duels a bit more often, to play higher up the pitch, to engage strikers a bit further up the pitch, knowing that if, if you do lose that battle, Bailly can get back, as we saw a couple of times last night. And I think that's what United need. They need a quick central defender to play next to Maguire to, to bring the best out of Maguire. And long-term, it probably won't be Bailly simply because of his, you know, he, he's as error-prone as he is injury-prone, probably. He was half asleep for the first three minutes last night and, and he recovered very well to have a good game in the end. But he, he could have been punished for either of those slight lapses. So I think what he's shown United is, is the way forward in terms of what they need from a, a partner for Maguire. And in the short term, he, he probably is the best partner for him at the club in terms of, of that pace and allowing both centre backs to play higher and to engage gauge the opposition a bit higher. Just a, yeah, a gen- absolutely. So Go just on, a genuine a question for both of you, in fact. Why do people think there is an agenda 
with us and De Gea. Do, do I think you have an answer for that? I, I've received a couple of emails about this after a piece I wrote uh, a while back, and it seemed to be that there was a sense that there's a sort of pro-English, pro-domestic yeah. player feeling yeah, from us, so. yeah. which isn't the tr- isn't the case, is it? I mean, no, it's, it's absolute it, claptrap. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's probably a, there's probably a bit of you know De Gea has been an incredible servant for United, and over the recent years we would probably have been within his right to to look elsewhere really, considering how good a goalkeeper he was in in the first few years when the title still looked a long way away. He, you know, you could have he was United's best player in those years, and he could perhaps easily have been forgiven for thinking I'm better served getting out of this mess, but he didn't. So you can understand the loyalty towards him and what a fantastic servant he's been, but. You know, the argument is whether he's United's best goalkeeper in the hearing now and mistakes have crept into his game a lot exactly. over the last two years. And I'm just not sure he's, you know, when you look at what, I mean, I'm going to mention Alisson, obviously he's been pretty useless of late, but when you look at how Alisson and Edison define the goalkeeping role these days, you find it it's hard to envisage United winning a league title when they've got a goalkeeper now who, who you know, is very... It's very different to those two. I mean, they might do. It, it, you know, it's it's plausible that they will, but it does feel like those two have kind of redefined what what teams expect from a goalkeeper at the highest end of the league. And I'm not sure United are getting that from De Gea at the moment. I'm not yeah, sure. Absolutely. People, yeah. I'm not sure some of these people even know what agenda means either. They should actually <laughs> look. They should look up the definition of it. And and in any industry, you have to be judged on what you're doing rather than what you've done. De Gea at his peak for those four years was was peerless. Unfortunately for him, for the last two years, I mean, you could even argue it extends to the World Cup where he didn't have a good time with Spain. But from United's point of view, I'm probably looking at the Shaka goal at Arsenal, which seemed to just trigger this glut of, of mistakes between uh, from that game to the end of the season. Since that game, he has been by and large poor. And that's a two-year period. Yeah. And it's reflected poorly on Sergio Romero as well as um, Dean Henderson. Romero probably suffered and didn't play the key games that he probably yeah. should have done last he season. Served more games, yeah. yeah. And now Henderson is and still, Sergio Romero, still on the fringe. Sergio Romero is, is Argentinian. He's not even English. So that's that's, that's some yeah. agenda that. It's just well, it's, if, it boggles yeah. the mind. Anyone that's heard me rave got... about Fred will know that I've not got a, a, an agenda <laughs> against foreign players. Having not got um, rid of Romero or not got Romero a new club at the moment, United this season are probably playing, well, they are paying more than 600 grand a week on goalkeepers. And we're still having a debate about which one's their best goalkeeper. And Sky Sports are devoting significant segment of pre-match last week to who's their best goalkeeper. So it's not, you know, it's not a great position to be in to be paying that much money to goalkeepers every no. week. And for us to be debating who's the best one, I don't think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll, we'll move swiftly on uh, onto a, another topic. <laughs> I, I guess um, one exciting thing to talk about is is Ahmad and I know he only featured very very briefly against Sociedad but a couple of flickers there I think he danced past a player or two interesting that he he was fielded on the left actually when everyone's been touting him as the answer to United's right wing problem but maybe that's uh we shouldn't judge judge him too much on that cameo but I guess there's a chance for him to start in the second leg Samuel that's that's the most interesting thing he should really be in line to to get 60, 70, 80 minutes, possibly in the second leg against Sociedad. Yeah, that's that's why Solskjaer in the post-match Zoom call and unsurprisingly, Solskjaer being Solskjaer, he said that they'll make a decision after the Newcastle game and there are other players who are arguably in need of, of more minutes than Ahmad, but it, it would be a it, it'd be a poor sport of him to, to not start Ahmad in, in, in the second leg. Given that it, is, it is boxed off. I mean, it was quite amusing last night in that I asked Liam uh, Corliss, who obviously oversees our work, you know, did he want to line from Ahmad now? But regarding what Sosko said now, because he'd spoken about him on TV 
And he said, oh, yeah, pr probably because everyone on Twitter is um, going on about uh, the fact that you did three take-ons or something like that. I mean, it's, it is a legitimately exciting signing, but when it gets down to that territory as well, you know that the, the hype is, is becoming rather overwhelming and there's, there's going to be a, you know, a period where you've got to curb your enthusiasm or at least United need to temper that. And I think Solskjaer is going about that in a sensible way. I don't think he's um, gone about it in, in, in the wrong way whatsoever so far. You've, you've seen the two under 23 games, just, just how good he is. He's He was far too good for that level, but it was about getting his fitness up because he didn't play too much for Atlanta. He's had some first team exposure and training involvements in match day squads. So, and given how fresh he will be for the run in, there's every chance that he could, could have an important role to play as well, particularly in these. The, games like the Sociedad game where you're coming up against a defence that are just as about as watertight as a sieve and there are gaps to exploit here there and everywhere so I, I sincerely hope he does start against Sociedad because one of the few redeeming features of the Europa League is that certainly from United's um, viewpoint is that they've used it to as, as a breeding ground for youngsters and Ahmad could be the latest to get a start next week. Yeah, it'd be interesting, exciting. I wonder how many take-ons Ahmad actually did in that 6-4 under-23 wins over Blackburn, who probably did about a million in, in the space of 90 minutes. But it should be an interesting game anyway, and United um, will certainly be be hoping it goes straightforwardly and that that record against Spanish teams in the uh, Europa League and the Champions League is, is firmly put to bed. Uh, I guess there's the uh, the Newcastle game tire to talk about as well coming up this this Sunday. I mean, after what has been a, a pretty torrid run of form really in the Premier League of late, with the Everton results, Sheffield United, West Brom, this feels like a real banker for United. And I guess having rested players as he did, there are, there's a scope for a fairly fresh team to to come back in or half a team and to put a marker down in the league. Now United need that kind of Sociedad performance replicated in domestic football? They do, yes. I imagine they'll find it tougher going against Newcastle. I can't imagine Steve Bruce is going to send Newcastle's back four out to play on the halfway line at Old Trafford. Um, so I think they will find it harder going to, to break them down. But like you say, it, it should still be a win. I mean, Newcastle have got very little attacking threat. Now, Callum Wilson's out. They're in awful form. They're probably looking at Fulham's improvement in form and starting to think that they might get dragged into a relegation battle here and, and could be in big trouble. So it, it should be a route team win for United but then we said that against Sheffield United and we said that against West Brom and they took one point out of six from, from those two games and it's those two results that have killed off the possibility of, of extending the, the challenge to City into, into March and April really so it, it should be a routine win United have to make it a routine win like you said they should be able to bring some some fresh legs back into the side and you do I mean we did we said earlier that a banker for the top four you would imagine that to be the case this is a season where teams can be magnificent one minute and then pretty poor the next. And with Chelsea, with Chelsea starting to show hints of a revival under Thomas Tuchel, we still don't know. Obviously, Liverpool have dropped to sixth, I think it is. We don't know sort of how the rest of their season is going to pan out. There is, There are teams loitering around that top four who will think they can get involved and, and make it interesting. And United need to make sure they're not the team that are looking over their shoulders. Second should be achievable this year. Second would be an improvement. I think Gary Neville said last week the challenge now for United is to go and make sure they get second and get second comfortably. And that means turning on the afterburners and, and leaving Leicester behind, really. So, 
that should certainly be the challenge for United. But to do that, they need to be beating Newcastle at home and making sure that, that recent results, I think they've dropped points in five of the last seven in the league. So they need to put that record to bed and for once make what should be a routine win just that. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I guess in terms of the bankers to come back into the team, Samuel, I guess Anthony Martial will probably come in for, for Daniel James, depending on um, Edinson and Cavani's fitness. We'll obviously see Luke Shaw back in and... We've talked about the goalkeeper and the, and the other centre-back, but is this a chance for, for maybe Donny van der Beek, if fit? Obviously, he got a rest, enforced rest in midweek. He didn't travel. He and Cavani didn't travel because of muscle injuries. But against a team like Newcastle, United shouldn't really be playing with two holding midfielders at home. We've see, seen them do that in recent weeks without Paul Pogba and, and they suffered because of it. Really, you, you want a van der Beek next to a Fred or a McTominay uh, in that midfield. So if fit, this could be a big chance for him. They, they might not have any choice if, if van der Beek is, is unavailable. Even if he yeah. is available, you still wouldn't be surprised if he's on the bench. I think it just pretty much sums up his season. That I felt when he came on at West Brom, it was a, a big moment for him in that if he, hadn't, if he made an impression there, he was probably going to start in Sociedad, sorry, at Sociedad in Turin. I keep saying, thinking it was played in San Sebastian, but of course it wasn't. And then he could pretty possibly get some momentum and then start against Newcastle because the, the weekend, this the game this weekend, it has the potential to be a, a record for you know, possession United recorded in a home game. Newcastle are that an adventurous that you could probably you know, take the goalkeeper out of gold and give him a breather and they still wouldn't bother you at all. But unfortunately for Van der Beek, he was, he was injured in the week. That makes it unlikely that he would start this weekend. And in that case... I suppose Solskjaer would argue, well, McTominay, I think a lot of people still understandably look at McTominay and think he's a defensive-minded player, but he's not. He's more box-to-box these days. He's got he's got seven goals this season, which is some going for a player who was obviously playing as a striker for the junior teams, but then um, you know was converted to a more defensive-minded player by Mourinho and Solskjaer has coaxed those attacking instincts out of him again and then you can say well you know if, if him and Fred take it in terms one sits one goes that's that's fair enough I think the preference would be for McTominay to be the one who's going because Fred just could not hit water if he fell out of the boat I think unfortunately his, his shooting is is abysmal but that's that's the way of justifying it and it, it does look a bit risk aversive but there is a way of making it work and I think those were the two midfielders when United um, scored nine against Southampton as well rather ironically I think that was the, the one area of the pitch where you looked at it and you thought why the hell isn't Pogba playing in this game and in the end it was completely moot anyway so Unfortunately, as ever, as Van der Beek, I think he. I just think this season is shaping up to be a complete write-off for him. Something drastic is going to have to change between now and and the end of May for him to to really establish himself in in the United side because he's he's running out of time. Pogba will probably be back in two weeks. You would think maybe looking at the derby and the weekend of March the sixth for him to come back in. So. It's 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 difficult to envisage when Van der Beek is going to actually establish himself this season, and already you you wouldn't he he'd be forgiven for having one eye on next season, I think, even at this premature stage. Yeah, it has it's just felt like a a, a rotten bit of luck for Van der Beek not to to make the Sociedad game. Well, I did think that at, um, of all people, former Liverpool forward Dirk Kautz wrote some sense about this situation. He, he compared it to. Ziyech at Chelsea and I think they've both scored one goal from a similar number of league appearances and people aren't particularly talking about Chelsea's misuse of Ziyech it, it may just be a, a, a case of patience with United and, and Van der Beek uh, Ty I guess Cavani would be the one who who would come in if he is if 
be his fit. Anthony Martial continues to sort of miss his opportunities to to get in on on goals and to re- restore his form. And we have seen a, a renaissance from Mason Greenwood recently, which makes him undroppable really for these games. Yeah, uh, it does. I think for me, United's best front three at the moment is Cavani through the middle, Rashford on the left and, and Greenwood on the right. And I think that brings yeah. the best balance to that team, undoubtedly. Um, I mean, Mash- Ma- 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 Mashford, um, Martial is not having... <laughs> That's the <laughs> combo. A Mashford of some of their chances this season. Um, I mean, Martial is not having a good season and it feels like when he's not having a good season, he's not particularly heavily involved. We mentioned Rashford finishing last night and there's been a lot of that in recent games. He missed a sitter against West Brom as well. But even when he's not putting away chances, it does feel like he's continually involved in the game. And I do feel like Rashford's been a bit unlucky this year in that he's probably the one player who's been punished most for United failing to sign a right winger in that he's been, he started games on the right and the left and through the middle. He, I think it's maybe six weeks to two months, I think maybe December since he last started successive games on the left. He'll start a game on the right and then he's, he's moved to another position and it does feel like he's he's the one in that front three that is versatile, but it means he's being shoe-on from position to position and, it, you know, he clearly doesn't, enjoy playing on the right and it's quite interesting I was listening to um, a, a Rooney podcast for something else I'm working on this morning and he talked about where he played in his career and his, his positions across the front three and he said he preferred striker obviously but out of the wing position he said he didn't mind playing on the left but hated playing on the right and it felt like the pitch was closing in on you and you know when he explains it like that I, I mean Rashford and Rooney are different players but they're both right-footed attackers being shoehorned out onto the right and you can probably Imagine a similar scenario for Rashford, that Rashford likes big open spaces to work in. And when he's on the right, it probably does feel like the pitch is closing up on him. And it, I just don't think United are getting the best out of him in, in that position. But he, he gets shunted out there when Marshall and Cavani play. So for me, that front three of Greenwood on the right, Rashford on the left, and Cavani through the middle is the best front three. If they're all fit, that's the front three I'd, I'd play in this game. Bearing in mind, you can make changes for... Sociedad, you could probably change all three for Sociedad in midweek and then revert to that front three at Chelsea at the weekend. So that is the front three I'd be going with. And I think at the moment, Martial just has to accept his status as backup striker for Cavani. Yeah, I think that's uh, it'd be pretty much universally agreed by United fans. I think Greenwood is worth just mentioning uh, very slightly. He hasn't got his goal that maybe he needs to boost his confidence a little further uh, of late. But Samuel, he's, he's signed a new contract extension at the club this week. Uh, United seem to be investing in his future as they obviously should be doing, but he did have a bit of a tough start to the season, and he has sort of shown of late that you know he's not a flash in the pan. He's he's not going to go go away as a as a talent in this side, and he looks like he's here for the long term. Well, it was interesting that Rashford said something recently that fans just home in on numbers. It's all about goals and assists, and I think Greenwood actually defies that misconception in that he he hasn't really been scoring uh, of late. I think he, his last goal was probably against Liverpool and that was only his fourth of the season. But his performance level has been so high and so uh, noticeably good that he's got a lot of plaudits for it, even though he's not been getting the numbers, if you like. So it's it's testament to how well he's he's been doing that people are still actually raving about him even though he's he's not scoring goals in games and Fernandez is a voracious goal scorer but his performance level probably hasn't been at the standard of Greenwood's over the last over the last month or so so it's a credit to Greenwood that he has rallied from those those difficult first few months of the season where there was a lot of scrutiny on him after the 
the transgression in Reykjavik and that that obviously is is something that he needs to put behind him now I think he's in a more stable situation he's I think he's back with his girlfriend little things like that do help an awful lot he's there's no contract talks lingering in the background sometimes that can uh, distract a player but it was good that United put him up to speak to the media this week even it was just a, a virtual audience and I was I was pleasantly surprised by just how how good a talker he was he only answered four questions before he he vacated his seat and and left the room but he was as i said he could have probably could have talked a lot longer and um and they'd have had no problem with it whatsoever and i'm saying that having you know there was a commercial event in singapore i think on the last pre-season tour and it was the day after he scored the winner against Inter Milan and he was off limits to even the sponsors he was there with I think it was David De Gea Dallow and Luke Shaw and one of the, the interviewer I mean I say interviewer it was just a lady who was very overzealous and uh, quite exuberant and she tried to speak to him and he didn't know what to do so Dallow stepped in and just answered the question instead and he was he was extremely shy and even though he, his physique was quite um quite apparent at the time, even though he was still only 17. It, as soon as he opened his mouth and he asked the press officer, can I, you know, sit over there um, away from the glare of everything? You thought, oh, crikey, this is a kid who's, who actually should be just about to start year 13 at school. So uh, that, as I said, that's why I was quite pleasantly surprised how, how good a talker he was in the week and the fact that United are in a position now where they are prepared to trust him to, to speak to the media is, is progress in itself as well um, because sooner or later he, he's not going to be able to be referred to as a young player anymore because as I said he came into the pre I think his first preseason tour was in 2018 so he's not far off from being uh, recognised as a veteran he's played a hell of a lot of football over the last 18 months, two years, and it's it's very exciting for United that they've they've got him for the for the foreseeable future. Yeah, 80 odd appearances, I think he's made for the first team, and um, yeah, I don't think when I was 17, 18, I could really string a sentence together either. So he can probably be forgiven for that. We'll um, we'll end on Newcastle though, guys, and predictions for the game. Uh, I'll come to you first, Ty. This is always one where we, you know. <laughs> I'm setting you up to fail. We know this, but it's part of the uh, the pomp and ceremony of this podcast now. So I'm going to just ask you for a, <laughs> for a prediction and then we can record this, clip it. And then when United slip up against Newcastle on Sunday, I'll put it out on social media. Yes, thanks for that. Um, I don't need any <laughs> help with embarrassing myself on social media. Um, it's got to be it's got to be simple and routine for United. Like Samuel says, Newcastle have got no attacking threat at all with Callum Wilson out. I think they're in big danger of, of getting dragged into that relegation battle. So I'm going to go 3-0 United with about 78% possession. Oh, even even a possession prediction that is new chartered <laughs> territory for the for the podcast. Would you agree with that, Samuel? Yeah, the risk of making this a, an MUTV style prediction panel after <laughs> the, the reference to the three nil, four nil, five nils they were looking, uh, they they were predicting at West Brom last week. I'd I'd probably say some like four nil if Cavani's starting. If he's not starting, then then maybe two nil. Okay, we'll go with that. Yeah, we'll, we'll try not to avoid just uh, MUTV light. We try to offer a little bit more uh, insight and analysis than that if we can. Oh, we but, do. We do. <laughs> we definitely do. Yeah, well, let's, let's, hope, let's hope we can t- continue to provide that. But thank you, uh, Samuel and Ty. Uh, it's really, a really enjoyable podcast today. And we will be back again very soon for one of these Manchester is Red podcasts to review the Newcastle game, to look at Sociedad's second leg. And there's a couple of really, really big games after that uh, to talk about as well. Please leave us a like and a subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you if you've watched this on the Manchester Evening News United Facebook page as well. Uh, but from the three of us, it's goodbye for now.